Welcome to the Tell Me Podcast. I'm your host, Ilya. I hope you've all been well. Uh, it's been a little while in between episodes, so I appreciate everyone tuning in and engaging with me um, on my Instagram, asking me when the next episodes are coming out. Well, here it is. On this episode, I have a chat with Amber L. Um, it was, I don't know how to describe Amber. She's just an absolute superwoman. Um, she's a mom, a nurse, entrepreneur, educator, family preparedness expert, homesteader, humanitarian, uh, you know, the list just continuously goes on. We chat everything from growing up in uh, rural Louisiana, uh, homeschooling, family preparedness, um, her position as the um, uh, director at Fieldcraft Survival, uh, resilience challenges, uh, and most recently being on the ground at the Ukrainian border, helping Ukrainian refugees uh, with Save Our Allies. Um Look, I'll put these uh, on the show notes, but please find Amber on the links below. Um, her website, Fieldcraft's website, and the Save Our Allies uh, website as well. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, um, and thank you for all that you do, Amber. You're an absolute legend. And uh, on this podcast, we have Amber. Um, Amber, thank you again for uh, coming on the podcast. Uh, I've mentioned before, you know, I know you're incredibly busy, a mum. Uh, entrepreneur, you know, you, you travel heaps, um, doing lots of amazing content, not only for you, yourself, but also Fieldcraft. Um, so yeah, thank thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, so to kick it off, uh, just uh, as I mentioned before, we go kind of chronologically on this podcast, going from sort of upbringings, uh, school life, university, college, whatever, uh, professional life, um, and then to your present day. Uh, and, and sort of what the future holds. So um, in as much detail as possible, uh, I suppose, you know, can you tell me about your upbringing, um, where you grew up, uh, you know, sort of what was happening at the time uh, when, yeah, when you were growing up? Yeah, so I was raised in the same little small town that I live in now. Um, so raised very rural. Um, and my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. My little brother built a house right next door to them. I, it's very a very Southern thing for people to stay in close quarters next to each other on family land, you know, yeah. but that's how it is here in rural Louisiana. Um, so born and raised here, uh, very rural life. You know, my dad did farming and contracting. And so it was more homestead versus him just running an actual agricultural farm, you know, gotcha. yeah. but uncles and family and everybody nearby ran actual sustainable farms. And, um, so we just kind of had the lay of the land. We could do whatever we want, go wherever we want. And, and life was very much, um, very self-sustaining and we were very self-reliant. You had to be to go out into the fields all day long or go out into the woods or go down to the bayou um, and play and have fun. You had to be able to be very careful, very mindful, very situationally aware yep. and know how to take care of yourself. You know, and we're, 
we're slightly displaced from town. So it's not like you could just run down to the store to grab something on the corner. So it made us very much um, appreciative and aware of resources and how to be very careful about moderating those and just know what we needed to sustain ourselves for a long period of time. Um, growing up, we always had hurricanes. That was just a regular thing. Um, I remember about four different times evacuating as a child for hurricanes. Yeah. And um, I was in, I was in my freshman year of high school when Katrina and Rita hit that yeah. same year, both, both of those catastrophic hurricanes. And we lost complete infrastructure for over two weeks. And so, um, you know, my dad being very resourceful, obviously we had generators, but fuel was becoming very difficult to find. He had bulk fuel tanks, you know, because of, of ag life and, and his occupation. And so we had access to that, but we had to reserve it and moderate it for running freezers and running fans at night. And those really high ticket, quote unquote, high ticket items that you need to save all of your electricity for, uh, in the heat of a Louisiana summer. And so it was very profound experiences to go through for that extended period of time and just watch how other people lived and survived, um, in relation to how we lived and survived and how my dad and my mom did it differently. And so, so many lessons were gleaned in that time. And I just felt such security in that life, you know, knowing that my dad had accounted for everything. He had, he had a pace plan, a pace plan before I even knew what a pace plan was (laughs) for water and food and fuel and transportation. You know, there were always backup routes and, um, and for our personal security and even for bartering, you know, like it gets gritty after 14 days of no electricity. None of the stores have anything in stock. You can't get fuel. Like, could you imagine people are literally starting to barter at that point? Yeah, it's incredible. You, you sort of revert back to, you know, bare, bare oh. basics and, and what they used to do in I the old days, what, basically. Steaks, like a good <laughs> steak yeah, can go for, that is a big dollar item. Whenever, <laughs> <laughs> whenever people have been living off of MREs for yeah. about nine days. Like, it's a nice juicy people steak. People will give yeah. you anything for a steak. <laughs> if you are the lucky person that's been running a freezer for two weeks and you can, you can drive around with a steak, you know? Yeah. A bone-in ribeye, man, you <laughs> are the king of the area. Like, it's so funny how primitive it gets so quickly. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, so it was just really unique experiences. I've heard people say like, oh, you should turn your electricity off for, you know, a weekend and see how your family can survive. I'm like, play yeah. on players. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> Try two weeks. We yeah. did, right. <laughs> see what you can do after two weeks. Um, everybody's sleeping in one room with like a box fan blowing on them. You know, it's. <laughs> I was going to say, so did you have a, a large family or like uh, many siblings? Or? So I'm in the middle. Um, I have an older brother, five years older than me. And I have yeah. a younger brother who's seven years younger than me. Okay. So and was everyone much home during, during Katrina and, and Rita? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, yeah, we were so. all there. <laughs> I mean, and I, you know, everybody, everybody loves to be around our little homestead too, because my dad has it all figured out. So I can't tell you how many of my friends would be driving, drive to our house every morning on their four wheeler because they knew my dad was going to be cooking good food. (laughs) Um, Because he's the, he's the guy that has, you know, seven freezers. I'm joking. He only has four, but (laughs) 
one of them filled with shrimp you know i mean we're here we're on the on the gulf so yeah. seafood's a big thing here we always hunted and so we processed deer like we have a smokehouse growing up there we still process our own de- our own okay, wow. um venison yeah so just very very knew how to live off the land so my friends would all come by on their furlers like let's your dad cooking today. I'm like, oh, those What's on the menu? <laughs> MRE lemon poppy seed muffins aren't doing you well anymore. Um, so it, I, it was just something that I didn't realize I was proud of until I had a reason to be proud of it. Yeah. Um, so just grew up in that lifestyle. I was president of our local FFA chapter. Um, like that was the life, that was the life we lived. You know, yeah. I did forestry and horticulture competitions. I was on the welding team. Um, but I also really loved to nurture and leaned into all of the, the very feminine components of being a mom and a wife that my mom always raised us, um, to do also loved to study and loved to learn. And so, um, I went off to college after high school and I got a bachelor's degree in nursing. Um, and then from there went, got married my last year in nursing school, um, my last semester in nursing school and got pregnant on my honeymoon, had a baby nine months later and went straight into motherhood <laughs> yeah. and have three little ones. Yeah. And so learned, um, still lived rural, still live very rural. And, um, my ex-husband's family has a very large farm. And so that's where we were for the first, the first part of our life. And I was home with the children and everybody was, you know, working. And so I found a way to incorporate all the things that were very natural for me and that I found to be very beneficial and helpful growing up. And that was just an appreciation for the land being situationally aware um, and just taking them out into nature and bringing them up in that way. And so it was a very slow beginning, you know, it was very slow paced, very quiet. And I got to raise um, the babies that way, their first few years of life. And um, just, it made them very um, emotionally literate children. It made them very aware of their surroundings, not in a fear-based way, but in the way that I had always grown up, just being aware, being appreciative of what they could see, what they could smell, what they could feel, what they could sense, you know? And um, I've really seen the fruit of that play out in, as we've moved through life, I now have nine, seven and four-year-olds. They're a little older. um, And just really seeing them take the initiative to, um, take care of their own security and express their own needs and be aware of their own surroundings. And so I consider us a team. Um, And so I am now a single mom. And so the kids and I still do, I I homeschool them. So we do a lot of lessons based in nature. I do a lot of their lessons based around safety. I will rotate that schedule. So sometimes it's security, personal security. Sometimes it's fire safety. Sometimes it's water safety. Sometimes it's med skills, but really just being very diligent about incorporating that into their life. Um, and their dad is still a very active participant in their life. And he's also, he's one of the greatest outdoorsmen that I know. And so he passes those skills on to them and he's also very situationally aware by nature. And so, um, they just are surrounded by that, by that culture. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it creates an environment where I feel secure to travel alone with the kids, which I do a lot. Um, and you know, for us to really continue living a life where we can thrive and we can um, live without fear and feel very secure and ready for any circumstances, because I still live in the path 
of all hurricanes. <laughs> the world is blowing up, but I'm still very worried about hurricanes. Oh, I mean, that's, it, that's amazing, like, hear, hearing all of that. Um, so I grew up in almost like a complete opposite. I grew up in Kuala Lumpur, which is like just a, a concrete jungle, basically. So, but really? it's funny because I, I associate, you know, situational awareness to that sort of big metropolitan feel and, you know, mm-hmm. like just, just being street smart, I suppose would be the word. Um, but now that we live in the countryside, it's it's a whole like I've got this whole new appreciation for for this this new situational awareness that I'm trying to um, trying to get used to basically, you know, being a bit more displaced than, you know, I can't just pop into a 24 hour convenience store or um, or this, and that, you know, making sure that the the, right. the refrigerator is stocked or the freezer is stocked and, you know, all, all the little things like like you mentioned, not to the scale of, of having a smokehouse on site, which would be where I'm building mm-hmm. up to, but that'd be awesome. Um <laughs> But, but I love that, that, you know, that you've, you've managed to sort of impart this on your kids as well and, and have them become not only situationally aware, but I guess one of the things that you, you have to be when you're situationally aware is also just, you know, just present in the moment as well, just being immersed in, in, in your surroundings and understanding where you fit into that big picture. Um, and then, and but then that's them, the unexpected benefit of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then for them not to feel scared, you know, that, that, they might not be prepared for every single thing, but they've gone through, you know, a bunch of different things and different scenarios where they could apply it for a bunch of different other things as well. They might not have ever come across, but, you know, it's still ap- ap- applicable in that situ- uh, scenario. Um, so I think that's amazing that, you you know, you're, you're raising them to be aware of the things that could go wrong, but not necessarily, it's not fear-based. It's just, mm-hmm. look, this is how you would you know, address the situation and, 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 you know, we'll, we'll run it through. And I love um, for those of you um, and we'll drop the handles and stuff later, but on your Instagram page that you have the kids involved in, in various things from, you know, packing out their, their day packs to uh, uh, applying tourniquets, things like that, just, just mm-hmm. engaging them and make it, making it a fun activity. Um, yeah. You mentioned homeschooling. How did you find, you know, obviously during the, the pandemic, we, we've, we've, I think we've almost now forgotten, like it's just not in the news anymore, mm. but, but um, a lot of people were having to homeschool their kids and they were finding it, you know, so difficult. And just, I think it highlighted the issues with maybe the education sector and, and, and mm-hmm. sort of the um, uh, gaps that, that needed to be filled. Like, how, how did you yeah. find it? Maybe speaking to people who, um, who had to transition to homeschooling. Well, it was really difficult to, be, to have to watch that because I know that schooling at home is a completely different thing than homeschooling. Yeah. Um, and so having to facilitate somebody else's lesson plans and having to immerse yourself into a child's education when you weren't there foundationally from the beginning of that lesson or the beginning of that unit or the beginning right. of that concept, everything is such a building process, in the edu- especially in early education. Yeah. Um, that to just throw yourself in the middle of it would absolutely lead to an overwhelming amount of frustration, especially sure. for somebody that's not, does not feel called to exude the amount of patience that they have to, or maybe had difficulties in learning themselves or never yeah. learned those concepts in that ways. And so it's like a re-education process for yourself. Each time I'm teaching a new concept to the kids and it's seeing it through their individual lenses, but homeschool was a choice for me. And so um, it's something that I'm fully immersed with in when I'm doing it with them. And I know yeah. each of my child's individual learning styles. And so to have someone else teach them and then for them to come home in the middle of a pandemic, 
you know, which there's emotions are already running very high confusion. Everybody's feeling it, you know, um, and have to figure that out and not have the lens of this is how my children learn. And I do not say that in a, um, a judgmental or degrading way at all. Like if you're not physically sitting with your child every day, teaching them a concept and homework, isn't necessarily the same. You don't know exactly how they're learning. You don't exactly know their strengths or their shortcomings. And it's, it's very hard to figure out how to moderate for that. Um, and and integrate someone else's lessons at home you just really don't have much control over it. And so it's very, it was very different. And it was so hard because, you know, number one, there were people who were like, I, this, I knew I could never do this. And here I am doing it. And I still say the same thing. I couldn't do it. I'm not made for this. And it's like, ah, I feel like you got such a short end of the stick because this isn't actually the experience of homeschool. And I'm so sad that you feel like this is what it would be because it's not, there's so much more freedom in it than what you're experiencing. Um, And then I think that there were other people who figured out how to um, capture the freedom and flexibility in that in the ways that they could, and then realized, oh, maybe I am capable. This feels really good. I like the control I have here. I like the relationship building I'm having with my children. Maybe this is something we should lean into. And so I think the road very much parted in that sense. It it either gave people full permission to see that maybe this was something they could lean into or it really drove people away. And so on one, on one hand, it was really great to see. And on the other hand, it was sad to see because I felt like it wasn't the true experience of homeschool. Um, But yeah, I, I, and I think it did. It pulled up a lot of the issues in the modern education system. And, you know, the education system, um, compulsory education was created during the industrial revolution and we're not in the industrial revolution anymore. And so, um, it served a purpose in the time in which it came about. And, um, our world is different now. It it really is. And so, um, and our children need to be educated in that manner. And I, I really love Einstein's quote when he said, if you if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will spend its whole life thinking that it's an idiot. And yeah, so, yeah. and I feel like my children don't fit into molds. You know, I have maybe one child that would do that would thrive in a school setting if she had to, yeah. um, but my other children would not. And they would lose the parts of them that I really work so hard to nurture. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I just want, I want a little bit more for them, then I believe that they're capable of getting in that type of setting. And yeah. so that's, I just work to cultivate that here. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned as well before um, about, you know, that sort of being out in nature and learning about, mm-hmm. about things in nature. Like it's, it's just such an engaging way to, you know, to, to capture information for a child as well, where, you know, the kids aren't made to sit in a classroom for hours on end and, you know, reading off a textbook or, or looking at a screen. Like it, my, my my little ones they're, they're they're four and two like i mentioned and they started doing like forest school at, at daycare where they go out and they learn about the different you know sort of flora and fauna in yeah. the area and just just it just engages them in that more i guess that you're yeah, going back to like that wildness that, that you know is so innate in all of us that you kind of uh throughout your life i suppose or, or in in modern times kind of just chip away at and and it's mm-hmm. it really lovely just seeing them run around and, and it was one of the reasons why we also moved to the countryside just having that that exposure to, to tapping into that, you know, natural side of, of, um, of our lives. Um, you know, obviously being on social media, um, you, you you do a a great series of videos and stuff, uh, with Mike at Fieldcraft. Um, 
where, where did you sort of start with the whole, like with that sort of public speaking or, or that, you know, that public persona that, that um, I know a lot of people, you know, they, they have the similar backgrounds and, you know, experiences, but they can't, like you find a way that I, I think just captures attention really well in, in, in a very, um, yeah, like that nurturing sort of manner, which, which is a nice contrast to what Fieldcraft used to be, where it was a lot <laughs> right. of just tactics, preparedness, um, you know, a lot of... I tell them that I just, I'm there to just soften everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a nice, yeah, exactly. Like it, it's not, it, you know, it's not, not that military jargon. Um, even you mentioned pace plan before and like, you know, you said you didn't necessarily yeah. know what a pace plan was, um, but you know, your dad had one. Um, so, so yeah, when did that whole, when did it start? Like, like you sort of go, going out there yeah. um, with your page and all so that stuff? I love to teach. And even my instructors in nursing school told me they were like, teaching is your forte. Like you, well, first of all, they told me I needed to just, if I could go to med school, because they said that I would never be a great nurse. And at first I was just very appalled <laughs> by this. Like I just spent four years yeah, getting a thanks, bachelor's in nursing. What are you saying? <laughs> and my teacher was like, you are just, you're a leader by nature and you're a teacher by nature and you're not going to work well in an environment where there are other people trying to tell you what to do when yeah. you have the capacity to know just as well as they do. And so I was like, you're literally saying that I am insubordinate, like by nature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty up. much what you just told me. <laughs> um, and so that was pretty funny, but um, I loved to teach. Like I can remember in my postpartum semesters, going into the mom's rooms after they had babies and just like feeling so lit up by explaining to them proper sleep, like what they were supposed to do if X, Y, Z happened. And like, here I am, haven't had a child yet acting like I know, you know, like, yeah. well, let me explain to you how to breastfeed. You know, I bet these moms were like, get her but they were all very nice and receptive. Um, I always loved to teach. And my little brother was seven years younger than me. And I was his second mother. Like, yeah. I was distraught that I did not produce milk when he was born because that's my mom had to take him for me to feed him. And I was like, I don't like this. He's yeah. my baby. Like, give him back to me. I can take care of everything. Um, and so I spent a lot of time, like I would teach him little things and even like safety. Like I remember coming home from school and I would have this whole lesson plan set up and I'm like, today I'm going to teach him how to be safe around the PTO of the tractor. So I'd explain <laughs> all the parts and how it moved and what he needed to stay away from. And so I think for me, it was realizing that I loved to learn. And so yeah. I could sit with my dad and have him explain things to me, or I could break down a medical journal, or I could learn this concept and all of these vocabulary words. I could figure out how it could be confusing to somebody yeah. and then digest it. And then I could repeat the information to somebody else and seeing them get it and understand was like the very best feeling to me. And even since I was little. And so I really just carried that into adulthood. I did that with my children. And then when the pandemic came around, I already had an online business, a smaller business of natural wellness. And yeah. so I loved essential oils and homeopaths and natural alternatives. And so I used my understanding of the human body and um, the mechanism of action of different natural components to link and help people understand why essential oils were beneficial sure. or why we would use structured silver rather than just saying like, you should use lavender, you know, in that capacity, yeah. it was more of an explanation of, of that and then creating protocols for people. So I just loved to be a problem solver and create a solution. Um, and so I did that. I did natural wellness education and it, it just really gave me a connection to the outside world as I was in the throes of motherhood. Loved that. Like 
being a mom and raising my children and being deeply invested in them is always and will always be my priority as I'm raising my children. But this gave me a creative outlet and it gave me a connection to other people. And I love connecting to other people. Um, And so whenever the pandemic hit, I noticed how many people immediately switched to helplessness, fear, anxiety, literal paralysis. Yeah. And a lot of moms, it was a very isolating time, especially for mothers and mothers bear a lot of the burden of being the protectors of their children. You know, men are the protectors of their family and of, you know, traditionally they were the protectors of the village or the tribe and the women were primarily there to protect the children, like in a much more intimate capacity. And so I think women felt it in a way that they couldn't really define, but they felt like there is a danger, there is a threat no one really has an answer or solution. And then there were multiple other layers of threats that were compiling at that time, you know, supply chain issues and children dealing with emotional um, fears and woes because of what they were seeing and parents not really being able to explain it. And so I just really started my, my Instagram or my, my public presence transitioned at the time to being more educational towards these women giving them solutions, showing them that there was so much they could do right in their own home. And so I connected with Fieldcraft in the summer of 2020. Um, they were be, they were really busy at that time because obviously a preparedness company is going to thrive in a season like that. Yeah. You know, it's great business for them. <laughs> yeah. um, and up until that point, they were very tactical. A lot of what they did, most of what they did was very tactical. Um, They were about to prepare to make their move to Utah. And Michael was very much looking to um, expand into family and to children and include them. And he wasn't, he hadn't really found um, the proper person to fill that role yet, I guess. And so um, I think his vision of it was someone that was not, did not appear extremely tactical and could be very relatable to the average mother and family. And so when we connected, um, he was, I I was what he was looking for and that company was a good fit for me. And so I made some content, um, that summer just to kind of see how it worked with the community and people loved it. And so, um, here we are, (laughs) we just, we grew from there and we, we, we um, were able to, to to reach a demographic that I think what really needed to be reached. I was going to say exactly right. And like, you, you know, you hit the nail there when you said community as well, where I feel like, yes, there, there was that community in the sense it was, you know, veteran, veteran, veteran owned. Um, but it was just, yeah, primarily tactical side of the house with, mm-hmm. with the preparedness, obviously um, as, as a, as a component but the the lifestyle factor that i think really came to place when 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 you sort of started putting in your content and and uh and collaborating um re- really well with, with them um and so with with preparedness speaking about preparedness i think one of the first posts i saw of yours was um uh it was the your your the boot of your car and you had everything organized i was like mm-hmm. that just looks like ocd like amazing sort of like yes structure to it um and and so yeah that's that's when I started tuning in um uh to to a lot of your stuff with you know so having grown up obviously in in a rural area um you know there's resources in terms of living off the land that sort of thing what do you tell people who live in sort of I guess more metropolitan areas where you know they might be in a small apartment they might not even have a car um, mm-hmm. 
you, you know, you, you're, you're working your, your, your jobs, you're living the rat race kind of life. Where, where does one start with, with preparedness? Like where, where do you. Yeah. So I love with? telling people that the, the most important thing to do to start is to be very um, honest with yourself, to sit down and have a conversation with yourself yeah. Have a conversation with your spouse, your significant other, your family, if your children are old enough, even your younger children. And you really need to get to the bottom of, of what does your life look like in this season? And yeah. where do you feel like your vulnerabilities or your threats are? Where are you most concerned? Think yeah. about the main avenues of your life. You know, water, food, medical, um, transportation, communication. Yeah. Figure out what you have accounted for already. So like make a sandwich of your strengths, you know, what do you have already? Um, Like what could be used to your benefit? Where are you falling short? What are your concerns? And it's really important to bring in the um, opinions and the insight of other people in your family, which I think for me is always the connection of trying to encourage women Like you do not have to be tactical. You do not even have to conceal. This is so much more than carrying a firearm, Yeah. right? This is just being an active part of your family's um, culture of safety and culture of preparedness. And everybody gets to play a role in that. And just showing like men that they don't have to create this dichotomy and this contrast of that part of their prepared life. And then their family, this big liability, like, no, your family is such an asset they just need to be trained and taught and included in that and, and shown that there are so many ways in which they're an asset. They just might yeah. need to be reminded and it, it might need to be pulled out of them and, and, and really refined. Um, but to sit with yourself and be honest, and then wherever you feel like those shortcomings are, start finding ways to fill that void. And so yeah. you're in an apartment. Maybe you can grow beans are very prolific. You can grow some beans on the balcony just to get yourself a nice introduction to far to growing and what that looks like, you know, like how long does it take for the beans to sprout? How much water do they need? The sunlight, do some experimenting with so that you know how to even turn a seed into a food. Um, but what would be more realistic at that point? Like, well, there is a farmer somewhere near you go to a farmer's market, meet with these people, create community and create a relationship with them, have their phone numbers, like ways to contact them, their email address, Um, go out and visit their farm, see what they do. Maybe you can create a relationship to where your family goes out regularly and you have like your own little plot that you're helping take care of. If an emergency were to happen, if a pandemic were to hit, like me, I buy, I don't buy, I can't say that because it's illegal. I borrow milk locally. (laughs) can't even believe that's a thing. Um, Crazy. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So when the supply chains fell apart and you couldn't get milk for a short period of time after the pandemic, guess what? Yeah. I knew a farmer. Exactly. You know, (laughs) Yeah. like there was such security in that to know I knew a farmer. Not only did I know a farmer, but I knew the back road route to her house that I could go on, on my side by side. I didn't even have to go on the main roads Yeah. when there were like, um, they had, uh, well, it got really bad here in Louisiana because our governor made some very strong implementations in the beginning. I think because they believed that COVID really blew up in New Orleans yeah. around Mardi Gras. Right. Um, and so, you know, there were, um, um, oh gosh, what do they call that when they put 
like lockdowns curfews. Or, very, oh, yeah. very strict curfews. And so yeah. I could even take the back road on my side by side. You know, it's like yeah. it sounds like it's very apocalyptic times here, but oh, well, that's what it, you it really got like thrown that, yeah. in the midst of something yeah. that felt like it. And so knowing that I had that connection to somebody who could still provide that as a resource, and I had things that I could bring to her, you know, yeah. I had gallons and gallons of dried beans. And so I was like, Would you like some beans? Like, is there anything you need? Can I bake you some bread? Yeah. Um, like I have wheat berries and a wheat grinder here, so I can actually grind my own wheat like wheat stays wheat berries can stay good if you keep them airtight for a very long time yeah it, well, and it goes back um, to that, like that bartering that you were talking about before like when yes. you know with with your dad and and uh what happened in katrina like i guess mm-hmm. it, it, things like that just always sort of happen during when, when times get tough and you know the supply chain sort of crushes down right. I wish I knew somebody who made, you know, toilet paper because that was the main thing of uh, 2020, yeah. I felt like. <laughs> yeah. Um, Buy of a day. Yeah. <laughs> Buy of a day. There we go. Um, and and it kind of like, uh, you know, preparedness, I feel like for a long time, uh, maybe because of a few, let's say, Discovery Channel shows where there's like, there's the term prepper, the bunkers, the bunkers. Yeah. you know, you're, you're, you've got the school buses cut in half and, and, and you're living in, in that and but more recently, I think people have kind of gone, okay, wow. Uh, you know, the, the doubters or the naysayers, if you will, go, okay, well, we, we should probably start thinking about what we, yeah, what we need. Like you're saying, like, you know, look at your shortcomings and, and, and try to bolster them up, see what, where you, you're good at, see where you're bad at, be, mm-hmm. be realistic with yourself. Um, so I think the pandemic was certainly a, an eye-opening experience for many. And then if we fast forward um, to more recently, like Ukraine, where you go, especially in you know parts of Europe where um, you, you just take for granted that you live in a, in a city and, and things just you know are the way they are. But then mm-hmm. you go, well, a European country was literally just invaded and there's been an ongoing war now for you know nearly seven we're on I can't remember what day we're on, but nearly 70 days worth of fighting. Um, mm-hmm. I think that opened a lot of people's eyes up, especially within Europe uh, in the UK where I live, where it's like, hang on, wait a minute we thought we were safe in the 21st century and, you know, in 2020, uh, sorry, 2022. Um, but no, things like this can still happen. Um, yeah. Obviously bringing we Ukraine get really up. complacent. We do exactly. Like you just, you forget, you know, history. Um, so recently, obviously you were um, not in Ukraine, but in, in, in Poland um, mm-hmm. with uh, save our allies. Uh, can you talk to me mm-hmm. about that experience and just, you know, run us through what you guys were doing. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to travel to Poland, meet up with Save Our Allies. It worked really well with me being the director of family preparedness because um, that's what I do is help to facilitate the processing of daily preparedness as well as preparedness in a contingency and worst case scenario. And it's women, predominantly women and children, and they're in a worst case scenario. And so um, it was an honor to go and get on the ground and the humanitarian efforts that they're doing there are, well, Save Our Allies specifically was doing a lot of setting up of communications infrastructure and helping to migrate supplies from place to place and also facilitating some evacs from across the border from Ukraine. I was able to get connected on the ground to humanitarian centers there that were doing relief efforts. And I was able to um, do some nursing care, some basic nursing care. So I mean, everything from skin, skin abrasions, scrapes, cuts, you know, some people are walking across the border because cars had been backed up for miles along the border. So they were having to physically walk. Um, 
to ear infections in children, just, you know, um, the basics, you know, a lot of respiratory and a lot of emotional, like a lot of people dealing with anxiety, which was showing up as um, hypertension and increased heart rate. And it was very interesting being American and trying to communicate to Ukrainian people um, with Polish medicine. Like there was so much Google translator happening. (laughs) I was like, bless it. I was going to say, yeah, like the, you know? the, 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 like, you know, it's such a, like, like everyone's in sort of that dire straight situation. And then adding on all the other layers, like you're saying, like the, just language is a barrier, but I suppose, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm usually uh, not anti-tech, but like, it's one of those situations where like, it's, it's amazing having things like at, the, at our disposal, like Google translate. Absolutely. Like amazing. And you can turn on the the audio like the yeah. microphone and they could just real time to me. yeah it's pretty crazy and I, at least i could figure out a couple words you know <laughs> um so it was it was bizarre it's like you know how many languages do you like what do you call a person that speaks you know all these languages like bilingual trilingual yeah, exactly the, the joke the one <laughs> yeah. language it's like american like i walk in a room i'm like i got english for you yeah, like that's, that's what i got <laughs> um but yeah it's like natural disasters yeah. times one time like exacerbated in the capacity you can't even imagine because like once you get to Europe and you're crossing over though you know it's such it's so many countries in such a small space and so many languages right. in such a small space and things you don't even think about like people needed new sim cards some people evacuated yeah. without documents and they were having you know to figure out how they were going to get across borders and on airplanes without their passports and it's like a mess yeah it's it's crazy. I mean, like the numbers are just staggering, you know, like just millions of people just displaced um, at, at a s- small finite yes. amount of time as well, which is just, um, yeah, crazy. You, you were talking about like, um, you know, obviously doing like things like, you know, s- skincare and like just your, 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 your mm-hmm. even from your basic um, first aid sort of care. Did, did anyone that you came into contact with, did they have any sort of prior training or, um, or, or was it just a, like, like the volunteers? No, like the, the actual um, like refugees, oh, and Ukrainians. You know what was really interesting? What what concept was repeated over and over to me as I did a lot of sitting one-on-one with these women. So yeah. the, there was a lot of quick facilitation. So they had stations set up. They were using um, train stations to right. do some of the humanitarian um, relief just because people were moving through and they were trying to continue processing them out because the infrastructure of the cities could not handle yeah. the overload of that overload. many people. And so they were really trying to move people through as quickly as they could. So the stations set up there were very short term. So three hours, you can have three hours on these cots um, just to kind of get your bearings, switch over your SIM cards, have a meal, change some clothes. You know, obviously they have donation stations there where you can change out clothes. Yeah. Um, maybe change out your luggage to something that could accommodate what your needs a little more, get some basic medical care and then process through. So I did some work there, but then I also moved over to centers where it was like a 48 hour or a 72 hour center. And so the pace was a little, as a little slower there, people were able to take a break and, you know, lay down, let the kids get some rest and really try to figure out what their next move was. And that was a really intimate experience because I got to sit, you know, at the feet literally of these women and just mourn with them, mourn with them, but hope with them too. And, um, 
the repeated sentiment that I heard over and over again from these women through Google Translator was I was not prepared for this yeah. or I wish I would have had more time. Right. And so that really hit home is realizing that we have the luxury of time right yeah. now. If we are not in the midst of this, if we are not, if you're not Ukrainian, if you're not in a war-torn country right now, you have the luxury of time. And that's yeah. something that they realized they took advantage. They did not take advantage of um, and they took for granted. And so having copies of their important documents, having a bag ready to go that had the basic necessities they might need, medication they might need, really important things they needed for their family and for the unique needs of their own children at the age ranges they were at. All of these things would have made this experience not less tragic, but maybe less of a shock, something that they felt they could handle a little, a little more easily. Um, and so I think that's a lesson that we all take from this is that, like you were saying before, we get so complacent, like nothing is guaranteed for us. Yeah. And so it's not being paranoid, it's being prepared. And I promise you that the millions of displaced Ukrainian people would tell you right now that they wish they had taken two hours out of an afternoon to prepare emergency bags, copy some documents and have everything ready to go. For sure. Yeah. For a scenario like this. Yeah. It's it's like I, I kind of, I mean, not to the scale obviously of, of what's happening, but like you kind of go, you know, the, the person who pays attention when there's like a fuel crisis, for instance, and who spent that extra, you know, 10 minutes to just divert their, their trip to go fill up at the Bowser. And then, you know, that person now has petrol, but it's that preparedness, that sort of forethought that you, that they put into it. Um, that just, you know, makes their lives just a lot easier in, in that sense. But I also feel like sometimes with preparedness, it, it helps you to sort of in a, in, in the moments where you're, you know, your world is out of control, that you, you have some sort of semblance of control in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, just like on a, you know, as a, first as of a, all, wait, what is a Bowser? About like a, like a petrol pump, like a, uh, oh. or, or, or a gas pump. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> A gas station? A gas Wait. station, yeah, like the the, the physical <laughs> pump that you know pumps the pet, uh, the gas. <laughs> Got it. But I'm like I'm over here like what's a Bowser? Yeah, I learned yeah. something new. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got it. The um I was gonna ask like as you know as as a, as a mom um uh, you know just uh, just as on a just a normal just a human level how how did you keep sort of your emotions and and you know um. Yes, I suppose your mental health in check while you were there, you know, experiencing all this trauma and all this grief, um, you know, what what got you through it? That's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously, faith is very important to me. And so um, I truly believe that when we were called to something, the Lord gives us the strength to to walk through it. And so um, it was very different putting a face to the tragedy, despite the political nuances and what, how people feel about the war. Um, it's always the innocents that suffer. And that's what I was going for was the innocence, you know? Yeah. And, um, and like my daughter sat on my lap before I left my nine-year-old. And I, I feel like I said prior in this conversation, I feel like my children are very emotionally literate and, 
um, she sat on my, on my lap and she was crying and she said, I'm not crying these tears because I'm scared. I'm crying because I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited to send you across the ocean. Like she acted like that was what she was doing. And she said, because if something like this happened here, I'd really hope there was a mom like you who was willing to come over and help. And so she got it, you know, and that was like seeing that my children understood the gravity of it and the simplicity of humanity. Yeah. Um, gave me so much stamina, but just prayerfully praying over my day every morning and just, and, and knowing that I had no control over what I would see, but that yeah. the Lord had gone before me, he had walked, he knew what I was going to see and just asking him to be there to give me the strength to, to walk me through whatever I encountered that day. And, and the words, the words that these women needed to hear. And so that was a really important foundation uh, for me. And then also just, they're very strong, resilient people. And I've, I've had a few people comment on Instagram and say things like, Oh, you must've never met a Ukrainian woman. If you think that they're like meek and need help, (laughs) listen. Yeah. I get that, that people think that they're maybe a little more abrasive. Like there's a lot of Russian culture mixed in there. So imagine that persona of, of that like brute force of a woman just yeah. <laughs> um very but let me tell you whenever you your husband has to stay behind to fight for your country you're being attacked um for, for them what seems like in a completely for for a completely unsubstantiated reason like yeah. civilian attacks yeah. um it doesn't really matter how strong you are yeah. You feel very helpless in trying to take control of tons of li- tons of little, a bunch of little children and the elderly. So yeah, they're yeah. also having to navigate with like their mothers and their grandmothers. Um, it's hard, yeah. no matter how strong you are, you know, it's very yeah. complex situation. And so I think that that's such a funny generalization for people to apply to this, like, I don't think war is easy for anyone, no, you know? Definitely. And so yeah. it's, it's very unfair to place that expectation on their head. Like they're going to be totally fine. Hopefully eventually, but they're not right now. Yeah. You know, exactly um, right. define fine. Right. So um, yeah, sitting at their feet and just listening to them, listening to them in the midst of the tragedy, it's, it, they were very surprised that an American would be there. They kept asking if I was in Europe, they thought I was in Europe for some reason. And I just happened to go, to Poland because it seems like an easy thing to do. And when I told them, no, oh, I can't, I came from America. They, they always ask why. Yeah, right. <laughs> and the kids, and the general question was, why would you leave freedom to come here? Yeah. Like and I safety. just always, right. And I always told them because you matter because your life matters too. Yeah. Democracy matters. <laughs> freedom matters regardless of what soil I'm standing on. And so um, obviously there's tragedies that happen everywhere. You know, there's, there's tragedies happening at our U S border. Like I get that. Um, but I think it's really important for us to focus on where we're called to lean into and have that personal discernment. And so I can't be everywhere in the world. Um, but I, I, I was supposed to be in Poland at that, at that time. And I knew that's where I was supposed to be. I was called there. And so I went and it's been a drop in the bucket really. Um, but to those, to those people that I one-on-one with could sit at their feet and, answer their questions and help them make a plan and reassure them that even though they didn't feel prepared before, guess what? 
all we have is now and all we have are the choices we can make and the controllables we can control right now. And so moving forward, that's what I'm going to help you do. And that I'm going to encourage you to do that and to yeah. recognize that. And that, um, that meant so much to these women. And, and, and that's what gave me the strength was laying down at bed in bed that night, knowing that that mom was sleeping a little bit easier because we had met, you know, these specific needs and she had been reassured and, um, and I was just ready to wake up and do it again the next morning. So obviously it's hard and so sad, but when you're on the ground and your hands are on their hands and, and you're wiping the tears of their children, it just is a different experience, you yeah, know? Of course. Yeah. You're like, you're, you're in the midst of it as opposed to, you know, seeing it on a reel on Instagram. That was the most bizarre thing to me. It was just like, you like, even, obviously I'm not there, but like, I think it was one of the first sort of conflicts where it was just, it was so personal in that sense, because it was, it was just kind of everywhere from social media to the news to just, just everywhere around you, which is just, you know, remarkable. Um, what, what sort of considerations did you have for your own, you know, let's say your, your EDC or your preparedness, um, you know, cause you now don't have access to your, your vehicle that you normally have. Yeah. Um, you know, for instance, like your, your firearm for security, um, you're having to have a reduced signature, I suppose, or, you know, be, be a bit more discreet maybe in the way that you moved around. Um, yeah. how, how did that play into what you carried on yourself and, and your mindset? Yeah. So I, um, it was, it was really important. I knew when I got on the ground that communication and for communication to be uh, something I actually got, um, detained by, by border security, right. um, in the airport and they kept me for an hour, like going through my things with a fine tooth comb would not give me access to my phone. Yeah. Um, it was like an hour and a half. Yeah. I think it was my medical equipment. Um, and we were having a hard time communicating, but I, I was, it was my first experience on the ground in another country. I mean, I had to hit the ground in Amsterdam and connected there. Um, but I was like, you ain't in America no more when they're like, (laughs) you will wait, you will wait, you will wait right there. And I'm like, can I have my phone? You know, like what's going on? Um, and so I had that experience for an hour and a half where I was completely disconnected from the world, like sitting in a chair with a security guard standing over me, no access to comms. And I was like, I don't really like this feeling. (laughs) Not a good feeling. No. (laughs) Um, so I, um, I made sure comms was something that was a critical, critical component of my entire plan there. And so I was, I would transfer to a Polish SIM card as soon as I hit the ground because um, actually like Russia can track American SIM cards. And so that kind of made it a little more secure for me. Um, I had backup chargers um, for the phone, you know, backup battery chargers and then also solar chargers. And I made sure those were fully charged because I knew like I needed Google translator um, which I had downloaded and installed the Polish to English, Ukrainian to English versions, and then yeah. the reverse, because you can download them to your actual phone so that if you lose service, you still have access to that. Yeah. Um, and so I oh, I knew that I needed that. I also have a satellite device called a Zolio. Okay. And yeah. so it there it's great. It's kind of newer. It's like um it's similar to the Garmin and in, in reach, but yes. it's very small. It's like the size of a credit card, but a little thicker. Yeah. And so, um, you, you use an app on your phone. And so if you lose cell signal, you then can communicate using the app through the Zolio that connects to your phone via Bluetooth. And it sends signals to the satellite and you communicate to the people that you have set up 
in your app. And so I had many layers to my comps. And um, so that was very important to me. Um, I used a lot of our field craft supplies. So I had my, my um, 20 liter duffel that I had all my med supplies in. And then I could transfer the components into like the small Velcro pouches um, into a vert, a vertex bag that I had. Okay. So yeah, vertex is another, yeah. yeah. And it's very gray, man. Like yeah. there's no big signature on it. And so I could have, there's like an entire panel that you, you can fully unzip the outer panel of, and it's a Molly in there. Okay, yeah, and yeah. so I had like my tourniquet, my, um, my field craft little Velcro pouch could apply, could apply in there because I had a lot of med tools that were smaller, like an otoscope um, and pin lights, because it was a lot of ear infections and throat and, you know, ear, nose and throat with the young children. And so all the small parts I could have in the zipper pouches being organized was very key. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of med supplies because that's what we utilized. And then my comms, all my comms equipment. And so I just kept those all in separate little clear pouches and yeah. I had my vertex backpack that I used every day. Um, but yeah, I tried to, I tried to stay very gray man because I didn't want to be, um, just this, this outward American, obviously yeah. like yeah. walking down the streets of Poland by myself because I did spend time by myself. The team from Save Our Allies had to, had to be back and forth in, in Ukraine. And so they could be with me when they could, but I did also, once I got connected with the humanitarian centers, I was on my own yeah. for some of the time. Um, and so we, I mean, we all know that there are it is a NATO country. And so you do feel a little safer, but it's also war. So let's not think that there's not infiltration in the cities of people keeping their eyes out. You know, I'm working with a non-government agency, but I'm not going to be naive enough to believe that it's not a possibility that people could be having their eyes out for me. And so I didn't want to be like the outright she's here offering medical care or she's a tourist. And so I really tried to even just keep my clothes a little more neutral just so that I could blend, you know, a little better. Um, I kept a knife. I did keep a knife on me. That was, you know, a very minimal part of my personal security, but my situational awareness was always had to be on point. That's what I really paid attention to, especially navigating streets alone, you know? Yeah. Completely sort of new areas. And, you know, like, uh, I guess like in the pandemonium of things as well, like, you know, there's just heaps of just people around, like, you know, like an influx of, hundreds and thousands if not millions of people in into one small area like Poland or you know that border area um yeah I'd imagine that like you were saying like you know like maybe at the airport the reason why you were held up maybe was was this sort of you know reports of saboteurs and and you know people uh you know between enemy behind enemy lines if you will um so yeah having like medical equipment and 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 things like that where you normally Mm -hmm. wouldn't think about like you know, might pop up on a, on a radar because people are so in, in, in high alert. Um, right. Was that your first sort of experience of, I know the, the term like uh, neo um, sort of evacuations um, comes up a lot. So like non-combatant evacuation. Um, was that your first experience in, in, in anything like that? Um, yeah. I mean, well, I would say um, on the ground, yes. Yeah. You know, um, we we did a lot in the facilitation of helping the Afghans okay, in their yeah, evacuation. I was, was going to say, because Save, Save Our Allies obviously played a massive role in that. And they're like, I think, one of the first sort of 
organizations, non-government on the ground. Um, right. And obviously leveraging. Um, so I'll, I'll link save save our allies, but um, like Chad Robichaud and uh, I know like Tim Kennedy obviously posted a lot about it as well to get some, you know, great sort of uh, get the word out, if you will, um, using his, yeah. his platform. But just absolutely incredible stuff they did there as well um, to to then use those lessons learned and you know apply it to Ukraine and it was was you know timing wise pretty pretty amazing. Um, but it, it's it's kind of it was it's cool listening to you talk about uh, you know your your past and and things like Katrina how it, it's not the exact same thing obviously but it's it's all these little moments in your life that I feel like led up to. To, to that moment where you know you're on the plane to Ukraine and having gone through it again not the same thing but the hardship where you had to somewhat you know survive a natural disaster you're helping these people mm-hmm. you know get through a man-made catastrophe i.e war um w- when you return back to the states what was you know that transition period like you know, obviously seeing your kids would have been amazing after after some yeah. time away um but again like how, how did you transition back into sort of day-to-day life again was it was it difficult not really you know I I, I'm very I'm very honored to do the work that I get to do and I feel like there's the need obviously is is very grave um overseas and so it felt really it felt very honoring to be able to pour into those people in such a time of need but also I feel like it's still a very relevant thing here in our country and like I said I feel like there's so many people who might feel a little complacent. I mean, okay, that's a grave understatement as well, but um, many people who feel very complacent. And so the work here, even on American soil, is feels, feels just as humbling and yeah. precious to me, I think. Um, and, you know, working with Fieldcraft gives me connections to so many. Yeah. And, you know, moms who it's, it can be, it's a tumultuous time here in our country as well. And so very brazen people doing yeah. very brazen things. 100%. And, um, and so the feedback I get from these women and their testimonies and their appreciation for the way that we help to empower and encourage and inspire them, um, I feel like the work that I get to do is incredible no matter where I'm at in the yeah. world. You know, I mean, deeply grateful. I came back feeling very grateful, definitely put a lot of things into perspective, maybe things that um, were painful that I was dealing with didn't seem as painful anymore. Just realizing, um, realizing how much we can't control and how yeah. much we can control and um, how blessed Uh, how blessed we are to live the lives that we do get to live, you know, wherever that may be. And so um, it just, everything tasted, tasted a little more seasoned, you know, a little more salty. (laughs) Use a biblical reference. Like everything felt a little more salty, tasted salty in the, in the best way. I know the salty term can have a negative connotation these days, but um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's just, must've been nice. Yeah. Sort of having that perspective change and, you know, yeah. Um, and made great connections while I was there. You know, I met, I met a, a, a woman reached out to me on Instagram who's followed me because we had the homeschool connection. We both used the same curriculum okay. and we had connected over homeschool before. And she was in the same town as me, American stationed there with her husband who's military. Oh, and, okay. um, and so we got to meet up 
and you know, she had an, an orphan staying with her an a Ukrainian orphan staying with her. And so we met up with the, her Ukrainian orphan who was a teenager at a coffee shop and helped her get some Ukrainian books and, and had lunch and great conversation and just talked about, you know, how we can continue to, um, help to just give people a little more insight into what's happening in a very, um, honest way, you know, yeah. in a very, um, human way to show the humanity sure. of it versus just what you're seeing on the news. And so, um, yeah, that was amazing to have that, like to make a connection with somebody in Poland, you know, like <laughs> during this whole sort of during the crisis. And yeah. everything. I, I like the way you put that as well, because yeah, like in everything else, everything I feel these days is just completely always politicized. And there's always, you know, the, the arguments to be had and whatnot, but, but at the end of it, like, yeah, it's just, it's human lives that are in need of help. And, you know, that's, that's what you were there to do. Um, mm -hmm. I loved, uh, I think Mike put up a couple sort of uh, videos and stuff of, you know, basic things like how to apply a tourniquet. And um, uh, I think, I think that was the main one that a lot of people had asked them about. Um, but again, going back to your um, Instagram, your, you know, some of the YouTube videos you've done. Um, you set up like on your, I think on your page, just like a, a link to like an Amazon um, sort of uh, purchase list or suggested items. Um, yeah. There's also like PDFs that you've set out to, mm -hmm. you know, like a, 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 how to pack out, you know, like kids uh, EDC bags and uh, vehicle preparedness and all that sort of stuff. Um, do you have any more plans in the future to, take that content and, and, and make more videos or, or, um, yeah, what is, what's, what's in the sort of the pipeline down the track? Yeah, I love, I'm, I'm really trying to read the audience and figure out what works best for them because I don't want to just put out information just yeah. to sell a consumable and say, Oh, this would sell really well. I want to create the solution that people will not only be able to invest in, but will actually um, lead them to implement it into their life. Right. And so the implementation part's important for me. Yeah. And so I know, I know things that sell, I know that what's catchy and what sells aesthetically, but I want something that actually produces results in people, yeah. people's homes and people's lives. And so whether that's uh, more video content, which we do, like we will always do video content at Fieldcraft because that's, yeah. that's a wonderful resource and we are a media driven company. Um, but trying to discern, you know, is it PDFs? Is it small unit studies? Is it more ebook style, you know, like a consolidation yeah. of them? Is it, um, what is it? But yeah, being, um, so right now I kind of break it down by um, category. So it might yeah. be just fire safety or it might be um, stranger danger. And so once these miniature, miniature courses or, or resources are more built, they can be consolidated into larger resources, which I've done smaller versions of like a family preparedness blueprint. You know, I've done like yeah. classes on that where I have resources for people to use. Um, so really figuring out how to make those um, very dialed in, yeah. you know, using yeah. people's feedback, dialing it in, adjusting, adding to it, um, and then having supporting content. Like maybe there's QR codes in the PDF that lead to a video that's yeah, right. a little more descriptive. Yeah. And, and a combination of them all. Um, but yeah, really just, just trying to figure out what the audience needs and yeah. filling that void for them. I was going to say medium wise, 
behind you, you've got a whole bunch of books, uh, you know, like when, when things really hit the fan and, and you're out of uh, electricity and cell service and all that sort of stuff, I feel like having a hard copy sort of manual or book would be amazing. Um, is that something that you, you, you guys would ever consider doing this is like, you know, f- physical books? Um, we love physical books. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the sky's the limit at Buildcraft. Yeah, yeah. Like we won't figure out how to do whatever it is we want to do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of resources and books that exist that yeah. we like to push people towards. Um, and so done is better than not done. Right. And so if there's a solution, we will point to it, but I mean, yeah, our vision is always to create resources. We have Kevin Asella who works with us. He's a published author. And he has another one coming out. Um, and so, yeah, I would not just discount that there's many of us that, um, I say many, I, I would love to write books. Um, I, Mike is in the process of writing a book. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that we could see in our future. Definitely, that'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always sort of try to chat about like a bit about mindset and and um, certainly, I think more recently about resilience. Um, mm-hmm. And timing wise, I know you recently did a was it a month long of cold like cold plunges or ice ice bath type? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was January. January, okay, yeah. Yeah. How is that? How is that challenge um, for, for the month? Because you know, obviously, that the the, the concept behind it is obviously physiologically, it, it's it's good for mm-hmm. you having having that sort of shock. Um, but also in terms of resilience building, that's you know psychologically, mindset wise, it's also highly beneficial. Can you, can you um, sort of just talk us through? Um, yeah, how, how that January was for you. Yeah. So I decided to do, um, a resilience challenge for this whole year. So every month I do something new and it can be, it can be very small things. It can be large things, but it's always very personal for me, like what I'm led to do next. And maybe I do a lot of self-evaluation, evaluation and reflection. And so wherever I feel like I'm having a void, that's where I feel it. Um, and I figured I'd like, start the month off with a bang. And so I did the Wim Hof method. And so like January is a great time to do that. And, you know, I travel back and forth to Utah for work. And so I actually even cold plunged in, you know, a 30 degree reservoir at one point, which was (laughs) amazing. Um, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to, but I didn't want to, like, it was hard and it was painful, but there's harder things in this life. Um, and so it was amazing. It was, it was one of my favorite months. Um, I, I have a lot of favorite months so far, but that was one of them. And I think it was a great way to kick off the month. It was very empowering to realize how much control that I could have mentally. And it right. shifted into so many other parts of my life. Um, and, and it, it was very revealing that when things feel out of control, if you've never cold plunged the first few seconds in that water or a feeling of being out of control, like you've never felt before, yeah. you know, every cell in your body is scrambling, um, to adjust to what you just shifted it into. Sure, and yeah. it's such a startling change to what, like that comfort, that consistent comfort you feel it is stress inoculation in its most purest form. And so to realize that, if you just breathe on the other side of that 10 seconds, things feel a lot different. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, and then you do it for 10 more seconds. And then you realize that 
you can, you can do it. Yeah. When yeah. you feel completely out of control, you can do it. And, you know, it was, it, I related it very similarly to natural labor, which is what I did with all three of my children. And I loved it because it was a mental game. Yeah. Like it was mentally convincing yourself um, of your capabilities and it felt so powerful. Like there's no feeling like, like getting through that and then realizing what you were capable of. And so to do that in small quantities every day, I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, um, that's, that's, and, and yeah, I mean, uh, similar sort of story my, my wife um like uh, we had both both our kids were home births um yeah all natural and like as a person as a partner and the you know the, the the husband like looking in it was just like you're doing an absolutely incredible like just incredible job like you know it's it was, yeah. it was just amazing to see um uh, you know and like that's sort of the most natural thing that we i suppose at the core level do as humans mm -hmm. really like um so, so so yeah, like for, for somebody who who could never go through that or um you know doesn't want to have kids or whatever, like I suppose having like you said, like just daily you're you're able to tap into just even you know a fraction of what you would have felt um that mind over matter uh sort of concept on the day. Yeah, and then you and then it translates into your life, you know, like when you get put in a scenario where your emotions want to take over, you yeah. know, it, making emotionally charged decisions is never a healthy thing because our emotions fluctuate based on the circumstances sure. and they're, they change so quickly. Yeah. And so being able to get yourself to a very rational place to make a much more educated um, and intellectual decision is critical. And, and I say decision that could be something as simple as your response to your child when you're overstimulated and when they are losing control of their emotions, rather than meeting them on that, on that very emotional level, once you realize that on the other side of that 10 seconds, things are a lot different. Yeah. You take that template and you translate that into your life in whatever way you need. And so you breathe through it and you breathe, you literally teach yourself to breathe through moments, through tough hard times that could be a charged conversation with a coworker or with your spouse or um, just something that really sends you a flutter yeah. and taking a moment to understand that your body wants to react a certain way, but your mind can take control yeah. is huge. And it Absolutely. really changes things. Yeah. And people think they don't have the patience or the capacity or the ability. They do. It's just a muscle they haven't flexed yet. And so once you realize how to take control of that, um, it's incredible. And it's a it's hormesis, which is the concept of of um, exposing your body to controlled stress right. in small quantities. And that way, you're not going out and seeking that stress in other ways during the day. Yeah. So it really creates a much more calm and balanced sort of mind. Yeah, awesome, nice. You're saying that you, yeah. you try to do something every every month. What's the what's the latest that you've got? So I actually haven't announced it on social media yet, so I'll be the first one to tell you here. But Ooh, it's cool. uh, I know, and, and I think it's confusing for people because they think I'm challenging them. It's a personal challenge. Yeah, I am just sharing it with people, and they can join along if they want, and hopefully cool. feel inspired by what I'm doing. Um, but for me, I feel like it's a responsibility I take very seriously to speak into people's lives and train families. And I don't want to get complacent either. Yeah. There's always some way in which I can challenge myself and work towards being better. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. 
my counselor jokes with me that in the, she's like in the middle of one, of the year that would have thrown anybody, you know, it's, um, I've only been, been in a divorce, in a divorce for about 11, 10 months now. And so, um, she's like, most people would be coasting and you're like, let me figure out how to make this a little more challenging. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, that's just who I am, I guess. Um, uh, this month it's, it's, it's meditation and breathing. And so I didn't do the breathing during the Wim Hof, um, because it's, it was just like a whole other layer layer. And I was trying to just get through the actual act of cold plunging. (laughs) Um, and so meditation, not, not very, not new agey meditation, but very much just clearing your mind and creating space, space to breathe and to allow everything to just settle. And so I'm using a prana mat. Have you heard of those? Are they the ones with like, um, they've got like little spiky bits that stick out in in various places and then it's supposed to like Mm -hmm. warm, like uh, promote like a really warming sort of sensation. Yeah. Yeah. So it activates like the lymphatic drainage and Um, it's kind of like in some ways it's like acupuncture. And so I'm using prana mats, a prana mat for that. Um, that's the brand is prana, but, um, I love it. I can't wait to share. It looks very aggressive when you get off of it. Like your back (laughs) looks completely torn up. Um, but it's, it's incredible. And, um, and yeah, just, I can get, I can get very, I do a lot, you know, I, I, I homeschool my children. I run two businesses, you know, out of my home. I travel um, pretty regularly. And I also like keep up with garden and and just like a host in my homestead. So, mm -hmm. and so taking time to just breathe and allow myself the space to think. And it's a practice. Like you have to build to it to not be concerned about the next thing on your list. And I'm always like, Amber, it's still going to be there when you're done. (laughs) You need a moment to breathe. Like you truly do. You need a, you need time to breathe. And like, for me, it's very faith-based. So time to receive, you know, input. And, and so it's really, it's, it seems very woo woo for me to do that for a challenge, but let me tell you, it might be more challenging than cold plunging. Oh, I, I, like, um, I've, I've never, I don't know think I've done like cold plunging for like a full month or anything, but you know, I've, I've, I've done it in the past. Um, but I agree. Like we're medit- like, I remember going through the police Academy, I think. And it was like when we had like a yoga session or something like that after, you know, like our strength based sessions, and at the yeah. end of it was a, was a, yes, like self meditation and, you know, just listen to the, whatever audio track was playing. But I just remember thinking like, how in the hell do people do this where they've cleared, you know, cleared their minds and they're just like in the moment, just focusing on their breath. And then eventually uh, that even that goes away and you just, right. just you know, a, a vegetable in, in, in a sense. Right. Um, and then I even tried like, uh, uh, like the sensory deprivation pods, um, you know, yeah. with, with the, with the salt in them so that you're weightless and everything. And I just, just never could clear my mind. So I think I might have to revisit that because on the times where I was kind of close, I remember sort of coming back or waking up uh, and just going, wow, that felt like I, I took like the longest, you know, nap or had the longest sleep of my life where I've, you just feel so, um, I'm, I'm sure there's like more scientific terms, like your do- dopamine and serotonin and all that sort of stuff. It has just sort of rushed through your body. Um, but how long are your 
like meditation sessions like are you, are you timing them or is it just a free sort of well right now i'm i'm doing about 10 minutes but i'm okay. gonna just i i actually feel like between 10 and 20 minutes is a really good um time frame for yeah. me yeah um I'll do, I've done like saunas. And so I feel like being in the sauna for like 25 to 30 minutes is just, it's really good. I'm not consuming too much of my time yeah. and, um, giving, it's just really allowing some headspace and then I can, you know, move forward into the sure. day. Quiet time's not a new concept for me. I wake up every morning and spend time in the word and I have for years. Yeah. Um, and so I, and I'm very, I'm very much a journaler. And so I write things down. I'm going to do journaling as a challenge one month though, just because I really want to try to encourage other people to do that. I think taking things from your head and getting yeah. them down is huge. Absolutely. Um, and clears up so much more headspace than people realize, but um, yeah, I'm at 10 minutes right now. Also trying to not kill myself on the prana mat, you know, <laughs> go numb after a while, but, um, I love it. I really do. Um, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Um, yeah. look, uh, I want to sort of end off, um, I guess around the whole preparedness, uh, concept. Cause I, I think it's something that people, especially like my, my audience, um, not that I have a massive audience or anything, but it's a lot of, um, you know, friends that I met at uni and, um, just, just, just friends who aren't anywhere into preparedness whatsoever. Um, yeah. but, but I always, you know, like you, you speak to them about various things to try to get them on board. Like, you know, just get a couple more cans from the grocery store when you're, when you're, you know, buying your baked beans, like you know, little things like that, just to stock, not stockpile, yeah. but you know, just to have supplies on hand. Um, what's the, like, you know, for, for somebody who is, uh, you know, put off by it because it's you know, traditionally kind of seen as this preppy type thing, which is relatively male dominated as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, from a family perspective, what's your biggest sort of tip to, to get somebody really thinking about about preparedness yeah i think it's important to just suggest gentle approaches and give people some context into real life scenarios when this has been useful and not apocalyptic and yeah. i feel like we all experience the pandemic so yeah. everyone can relate to that you know and and especially for parents approaching it from this is such a simple way to make sure you never okay not never but to help offset your feelings of helplessness when it comes to your kids, like yeah. very simple things. Um, and it's not, and, and I always suggest to people, it's not always just about you. It's about the people that you can help and impact as well. Yeah. The people in your community who don't have the luxury of time or who didn't see it as a worthwhile investment. Think about it as a very simple way of you just showing up in the world for other people. Yeah. Um, for me, it's making it very simple for them. It's get, literally giving them a PDF of this is what you should have. You should start off in your stockpile with, you know, I do the rule of 20. So 20 pounds of beans, 20 pounds of rice, 20 cans of meat, 20 cans of vegetables, 20 cans of fruit. Right. Yeah. You know, like Super simple. Yeah. you can Keep knock that out in a couple of months. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to feel such a huge difference knowing that you have that stocked away in your pantry. You know, yeah. if, if a supply chain, issue would have would come along and and maybe it's just for short-term survival and then you know beyond that you have a community that you've set up in place but really just su suggesting and showing that it just it can be small bites and it doesn't have to be anything big and overwhelming yeah. um that normally can encourage people and i 
I really try to maintain the relatability um, and to be, and I, I tell my friends sometimes like, just send your people to my page. Like, I feel like I look like a yeah. very modern mom. Like I don't, <laughs> I, honestly, I'm like, unassuming, yeah. right? Well, that's, that's the thing. Like I am, uh, I think my, my wife's some not freaked out, but like she was, you know, gotten, getting a bit worried with the whole Ukraine thing. She's like, you know, we're not that we're, we're tech, you know, kind of in Europe and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I was like, check out Amber's page. And, and, and she's like, this is amazing. Like not only is everything oh, just like perfectly, like, you know, sort of tucked away in the back of her car. It's like, you, you wouldn't even know it was there. And I think one of the, one of my favorite things about sort of what you do as well is, you know, when you, when, when people like you're saying the, the, the rule of 20, like, I think a lot of, a lot of people go, Oh, I'll never use it. And therefore it's going to be wasteful what I, what I like that you do is you go, okay, well, every few months, or I think it's every quarter or every month you, you check on your supplies and yeah. you tend to, you know, the, the stuff that starts to, to come to date, you kind of, you go, okay, well, why don't we go on a, I don't know, like a camping trip or something and then start using this in real life where you're not necessarily using it, obviously during you know, when, sorry, the phrase, but when it's fan, you're, you're having an enjoyable time with your family um, and you're using the supplies and, and still learning and educating your kids. And, and then it's not a wasted thing. It's, it's something that you've bought that you've now used, uh, you know, yeah. for a recreational purpose. And um, my kids love, like, I love that when we go places, some, if anybody needs anything, my, my son is like my biggest fan, I swear. And he'll be like, my, my mom has it. My mom has it. I, I'm guessing maybe you got that from your dad with, uh, with, you know, all the, all the beef and the, the, the smokehouse and whatnot. So it was like, you know, the yeah. place to go was, was, was your, your, uh, your family's place. <laughs> um, my mom has everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, we were saying before how you've sort of added, the, the softness uh, around uh, f- field craft and, and sort of giving them the, you know, this new demographic that maybe that they re- not needed, but uh, was, was nice for them to have, or for you guys to have now, what's one thing that you've picked up or learned from them that you maybe were surprised, surprised by? Um, I, I think it was surprising at first for us to realize how much continuity there was between the way that we were, that I was raised, the way I had raised my children and the military, you know, Um, even like the things that I didn't have a word for that they weren't really sure how to facilitate into civilian life. We were able to meet on that middle ground. We were like, we came together in like the middle of that Venn diagram, you know? Okay. Yeah. And so like like, two worlds convert converging basically. yeah. Yeah. And so we were able to take, you know, my, my planning versus their pace plan and like put a name to like actually create an identity that worked well in the civilian world. And, um, and that happened with so many different things. Um, I think I was, I was very surprised at how much respect that I gained from them. Um, and that they didn't expect me to conform to, how tactically they were, how tactical they were by nature. Um, They just, all they wanted from me was for me to be myself and to bring what I could to the table and to be teachable and then also be willing to teach. And so I feel like we very quickly developed such great working relationships in that capacity. Um, And we've all been able to learn so much. I think I've learned much more from them. You know, they have so much wisdom to give, um, but really just, them still being willing to be malleable in, in like, you know what, we know a lot about a lot of stuff. 
but maybe teaching kids isn't really our forte or speaking to women yeah, about yeah, exactly. concealed carry and dresses, <laughs> you know? And so just willing to be willing to open the door for one another in that, in that way, um, because there can be so much ego involved yeah. in that world. And, um, and I've said so many times, like, I'm not here to be tactical. I'm here to make it practical. <laughs> and so we've just really stuck to that. And so um, I think that's all worked really well for us. And I think I think I was maybe surprised by it at first to see um, to see that they were capable of putting all of that aside in yeah. order to make room for that, that openness, sort of um, yeah, em- mm-hmm. well, embracing, you know, another perspective yeah. as well. Is there going to sure. be a, an amber line on the, the field craft uh, leather goods uh, section? I mean, listen, I don't know if you know, but I am like the, I'm like the cultivator of the clutch <laughs> movement. Um, I did not create it. Kenny and his wife created it many years ago, but I was yeah. like, I will push this bad boy because I love it. <laughs> um, and it's worked. It's worked really well. But um um, nope. So we actually have leggings coming out. Those aren't leather, but we did a collaboration with Alexo and okay. we're doing a short run of leggings and we're getting a lot more of, of like female based goods, even just yeah. swag. Yeah, um, just but, but I love working. Yeah. I love working with companies that fill a need in a yeah. very quality oriented way. Right. Yeah. Um, and so making connections with those companies and facilitating those relationships is something that is really important for me too. So you will look, look for content coming from us for, you know, things like even um, bedside gun safes, yeah. you know, for families in the home, like working with companies that create those. And yeah. so, um, yeah, sometimes the community aspect is just as important as the creation X aspect, you know? Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, look, thank you again so much for, for your time. Um, I know you're a bit, very busy woman. Um, and uh, where, where can people find you? Where can they reach you? What's the, what's the, what, what's the best way to yeah. get in touch with you? Thanks for having me. Um, you can find me on Instagram at ms.amber.elle. And then I also create content every week on the Fieldcraft Instagram. So that would be at Fieldcraft Survival. Um, and then we have a YouTube channel for Fieldcraft that you can find a lot of our, a little more uh, depth videos at. And then you can find in the show notes of those YouTube videos pointing you to our exclusive content channel for Fieldcraft, where we go even more in depth. Um, but yeah, very, very many resources out there. I also have a website. It's www.amber-elle.com. Um, and so I have, I have some eBooks there and some things like that. Uh, a little more information like blog posts where you can get a little deeper into like my specific content. I also have my wellness business there. So all my resources for like essential oils or homeopaths lives there as well. Awesome. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll obviously put all that in the show notes and um, uh, obviously shout out to save our allies as well. Um, uh, On that, on your website, uh, that's where I mentioned previously about the PDFs. And I think you've got the Amazon list on there as well. So everyone check Mm -hmm. it out um yeah awesome thank you so much yeah thank you i appreciate it i'm honored to be here and um i hope your audience resonates with the message we had today so i'm I'm sure they will all right thanks everyone thanks for listening bye